This is the Raising Freethinkers podcast. I'm Dale McGowan, editor and co-author of Raising Freethinkers and Parenting Beyond Belief, books for raising compassionate, curious kids without religion. Episode 28, Pants on Fire Parenting. Give me the fruitful error any time, full of seeds, bursting with its own corrections. You can keep your sterile truth for yourself. Economist Vilfredo Pareto, talking about the errors of Kepler. In 1847, the year before Pareto was born, an obstetrician by the name of Ignaz Semmelweis noticed that mothers in his hospital were much more likely to die after giving birth if their babies were delivered in Clinic 1 than in Clinic 2. Well, he did more than notice. He was devastated and confounded by it. His hospital was intended to save lives, but an average of 10% of the mothers whose babies were delivered in Clinic 1 died of puerperal fever in the weeks following delivery. Some months reached 18% mortality. In Clinic 2, Maternal mortality was below 4%. Now, the different mortality rates were known outside of the hospital. The two clinics admitted patients on alternate days, and women who went into labor on clinic one day would beg the hospital to admit them to clinic two instead. And when they refused, some would give birth in the street rather than be admitted to clinic one. And Semmelweis was stunned to learn that the mortality rate for women giving birth outside on the pavements was lower than the mortality rate in Clinic 1. Semmelweis started a careful process of examining procedural differences between the two clinics. The only one he could identify was the fact that Clinic 1 existed to train medical students while Clinic 2 was for the training of midwives. Eventually, he noticed that medical students whose patients died had usually come straight from autopsies before the delivery. Semmelweis asked the students to humor him by washing their hands before delivering a baby. After they did so, maternal mortality dropped below 2% the very next month. In the following year, it approached zero. His achievement was minimized or even ignored by the medical establishment, something that frustrated and haunted him for the rest of a short life. They said he had misunderstood the variables. They said that it was a coincidence. It took another generation for the medical establishment to accept germ theory as fact. And once they did, and put it into practice, the average human lifespan in Europe nearly doubled overnight. Fast forward to the 21st century, where we've overlearned the lesson of Semmelweis. Thanks to air filters and airtight homes and antibacterial everything, our environments have been so thoroughly scrubbed 
that our systems are losing the ability to deal with the germs and irritants that abound in the world outside our doors. The result has been a spike in serious allergies, infections, and immune disorders, especially in kids. As an NPR story put it, an emphasis on hygiene means we are no longer exposing children to enough bacteria to help trigger their natural immune systems. So with the best of intentions, we so thoroughly protect our kids from an admittedly bad thing that we risk doing them harm ourselves. The same idea can be applied to a lot of areas of parenting. When we hover too much around our kids on the monkey bars, coaching and warning and extending our arms beneath them, which was totally me with the first child, by the way, the constant safety net can keep them from learning to recognize and anticipate risks and keep themselves safe. Allowing a few bumps and bruises can keep them safer in the long run. When an argument with a friend gets heated and we rush to the rescue too quickly, that constant safety net can interfere with their developing abilities to work through conflict. Now, the conversation around helicopter parenting has covered both of those pretty well. Neither one is likely to be a shock. But there's another one that I almost never hear discussed. The careful scrubbing of all exposure to nonsense from our children's lives. I've heard so many non-religious parents in particular say, I will never lie to my child. And it's intoned in the kind of hushed voice usually reserved for sacred pronouncements. Now, I understand where this comes from. I really do. Especially when the parents themselves were raised in religious traditions full of toxic ideas and misconceptions and even outright lies. They often feel that they dragged the trauma of toxic ideas about sin and hell and shame and sexuality into their adult lives. And they are determined not to inflict the same on their children. I understand. And I also think it's terribly important to lie to our children. Now that sentence appeared in the first draft of Raising Freethinkers until my editor protested that what I'm advocated isn't really lying. So I changed it to this. Though I don't advocate outright lying, the playful fib can work wonders for the development of critical thinking. Critical thinking is the immune system of our minds. And like any immune system, it needs the occasional irritant to keep it in fighting form. Many non-religious parents, in the admirable name of high integrity, set themselves up as infallible authorities for their kids. And since, like it or not, we are the first and most potent authority figures in our kids' lives, turning ourselves into benevolent oracles of truth can teach our kids to passively receive the pronouncements of authority. I would rather, in a low-key and fun fashion, encourage them to constantly take whatever I say and run it through the baloney meter. To that end, I've sprinkled our conversations over the years with fruitful errors, bursting with their own corrections, and encouraged them to find those corrections. Years ago, my youngest asked, how far away is the sun? And I said, 20 feet or 21, they're not sure. And she said, dad. And I said, well, how far do you think it is? And she said, 100 miles. And I said, ooh, could be. 
But wait a minute, Grandma lives 700 miles away, and I don't think she's further than the sun. And we gradually worked our way to the right answer. Hundreds of times while my kids were growing up, a critical process started with a pretty obvious lie from me. Yes, I make sure they end up with the right answer when it matters. And no, I don't do this all the time. They'd kill me. But pulling our kids' legs once in a while is more than just fun and games. If every word from my mouth was a reliable pearl of factuality, they would get the unhelpful message that authority always tells the truth. So no, I don't lie about whether a car is coming when we cross the street. All clear. <laughs> I'm talking about fibs of the harmless but useful variety. And yes, I include Santa in that. As I've said before, I think the Santa myth is a priceless critical thinking exercise. By letting our kids participate in the Santa myth and find their own way out through skeptical inquiry, we give them an unbeatable chance to see a cultural illusion first from the inside and then from the outside. And a very casual line of post-Santa questioning can help kids recognize how completely we can all snow ourselves if the enticements are attractive enough. Such a lesson, viewed from the top of the hill after exiting a belief system under their own power, can gird kids against the best efforts of the evangelists and far better than secondhand knowledge could ever hope to do. And like other playful fibs, knowing that dad sometimes talks nonsense can prepare them to expect and challenge the occasional bit of nonsense, intentional or otherwise, from peers and ministers and presidents. I don't always have to make an effort, of course. I get things wrong often enough. The key there is to just own it out loud dispensing with the guarantee that everything mom and dad say is a pearl of perfect truth also short-circuits the terrible phrase, because I said so. Because mom or dad or the law or the Bible or the parenting book says so only teaches the ability to follow rules. If you want a moral thinker, help them think about the reasons behind the rules, regardless of your own worldview. Now, the result of all this in our family has been this. When I answer a question, my kids don't swallow it without a thought. They take a moment to think about whether the answer makes sense. By seeing to it that their childhood always included some nonsense, including from their trusted parents, we prepared their immune systems for a lifetime swimming in the stuff. So, why start with the story of Semmelweis? Because I think it's helpful to recognize the lesson that we're misapplying. If you've seen somebody scrub in for surgery, you know it's intense. They don't leave a little bacteria on their hands to keep the patient's immune system strong. Every square millimeter of skin is scrubbed with an antimicrobial solution in a set pattern for several minutes. The goal is the total elimination of the threat. That works because Semmelweis correctly identified the threat. He didn't know about bacteria, but he knew something was being carried from autopsies to deliveries, and that something was killing the women in Clinic 1. So he took steps to eliminate that thing. Parents who want to raise critical thinkers sometimes focus on the wrong pathogen. We're scrubbing our hands to protect our kids from bad information, from things that are untrue. But the bad information isn't the real pathogen. It's how our kids respond to it that's important. 
The real danger is developing bad thinking skills. And if you squint hard, you can see that particular epidemic in our public life right now. Trying to raise kids in a hermetically sealed clean room. Well, first of all, it's increasingly impossible to do that. But that impulse is exactly where conservative religion goes wrong. The problem isn't that they've got the facts wrong. It's that kids raised in any kind of mental clean room don't learn how to work it out for themselves. They often become passive receptacles looking for the next oracle of truth. I wanted the whole concept of an oracle of truth to be laughable to my kids. So I tried to actively kick the pedestal out from under myself whenever I could the whole time they were growing up. A lot of times it happened naturally. I would just get things wrong. But sometimes I'd plant a fruitful error so they could find the seeds of its correction. The Raising Freethinkers podcast is a production of Only Sky Media, exploring the whole human experience from the secular perspective. Visit us online at onlysky.media. Thanks for listening. I'm Dale McGowan. See you next time for Raising Freethinkers. Thinkers.